I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Binks, you know, you always hear me chatting about how the world around dogs has really got a little out of hand with so many people, so many voices, confused conversations and a massive worry about the rising number of dog bites. Well, that's why we're jumping on Zoom now to talk to dog behaviorist Hannah Malloy, who's not only helped put together dog bite sessions for app dog, but is a great person championing the welfare of dogs. Anna, welcome to A Dog's Life. I'm so excited that we're about to have our long-awaited chat. I know, I can't wait. It's so lovely to be with you, Anna. We've caught up so many times and it's great to be here. Well, yes. And firstly, huge apologies for not making it to the second app dog dog bite session, which you single handedly have coordinated the first part where I was at and the second part, which I just want to say I applaud you because you are standing out, I think. Please don't think this sounds patronized. I don't mean it. I mean, this genuinely is a compliment. You are, people are really saying you're such a doer rather than everyone kind of just ongoingly moaning about the situation of dogs living in a modern world. You're constructively making positive change and bringing up debate, which is very healthy and great. Bless you, Anna. From coming from you, that is a huge compliment. I, you know, I think it's really important to to look at solutions because we can all moan, can't we? Um, and I'll be honest with you, it's a, it's a huge honour to be able to to host these events um, and to be trusted. Mark Abraham has got a huge career in campaigning, and and he really has sort of tread the boards of Parliament, as it were. So he knows what he's doing, and it's wonderful to get to work alongside AppDog. But it isn't just me. I'm throwing it out there. You know, there's a there is a group of campaigners, and we're all working together to to pick the guests and you know think about the topics that we're talking about um within the dog bite events problem series so yeah just shout out to debbie luckin and and nick uh, crampton um yeah and some other amazing background campaigners who would rather not be named so yeah 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 no it, it's very important because obviously the huge news hit in january about mm. how dog bite incidents mm. had it was it doubled or tripled through the pandemic, Hannah. Yeah, it's it tripled, but actually over the last 20 years, I, I'm unsure as to where the, the last five-year statistic has come from because it does kind of focus our attention on the pandemic a bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of experts have said, to be honest with you, it was on the rise for the last 20 years. It's been getting a lot worse. So has the pandemic made it a bit worse? Yes, definitely. Dog behaviour has, um, has got a little worse in rescue centres, uh, but I don't think it's just the pandemic. Dog bites are rising faster than the dog population so it, it isn't just that yeah mm, mm, mm. yes no it hasn't um despite the dangerous dogs act I, I guess you know which really highlights how we won't go into all of that now because there's a lot more I want to talk about about you really <laughs> but you know despite that you know proving this ridiculous knee-jerk legislation mm-hmm. I was on GB News actually talking about it all typically I can't remember the MP's name he presents the mid-morning show on a Saturday 
today on GB News. Okay. It was Peter, he is a Conservative MP, and he was actually very behind, you know, keeping the DDA in place. So he, sure. mm-hmm. and it was really interesting when I was talking to him, a, co- a friend of mine that was watching said he was so glued, Anna, and listening mm-hmm. to what mm-hmm. you were saying. Mm-hmm. So that's all good. And the more conversations we're having out there with people like that in Parliament, yes. the better, yeah. really, because Obviously, I feel at the moment, Mm. pets and dogs um, as well, you know, particularly have gone off the radar a bit in Parliament. Mm. There was all this great hot air going on. Yeah, we're going to bring in a separate law for dog theft. Yes, we're still waiting on the animal welfare kept bill to be heard again. No dates. I know there's a lot going on in the world. There's also the renters reform bill. You know, people are facing you know, clever evictions by landlords at the minute with landlords doing nasty things like doubling people's rent because, you know, they've moved in with a pet. So it's not sort of technical eviction, but it Mm. is by pressure, you know, Hannah. There's so, I think everyone has to up the ante, don't you? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a call really right now for, you know, there's so many separate campaigns that all shout for attention. I think the beautiful thing I've seen with with the Dog Bite event series is, oh gosh, it touches on so many different areas um, of legislation that need addressing. Um, And it does kind of call all of those campaigners into one place to say hey do you know what we can get behind each other's campaigns and unify because they all play into uh the the responsible dog ownership narrative i mean my goodness me if we had a responsible dog ownership course that everybody had to take mm. we, well, first of all we'd need to regulate trainers and behaviorists i think to really do that very well uh, but once that was done and we had a sort of national narrative on what responsible dog ownership should look like then that would play into you know landlords being able to say oh well you've taken the course so actually you have a well-behaved dog etc etc they all connect they're all interconnected um and i think it is just time and everybody's got that feeling right now that we just push for this because ah oh, you know people are dying and getting horrifically bitten um and i don't you know what we've all got a part to play in that whether you're a dog owner or not in my opinion yeah yeah i think you know now we are if it is one in three households now have a dog i mean you know you've got to remember i'm quite old <laughs> so i'm 57 so i remember an age when dogs didn't kill people you know there yeah. were no headlines maybe mm. they did but they certainly didn't hit headlines mm-hmm. owning a dog was not awfully popular actually you know you you would go to the woods and not see anyone else um I remember for many many years but now you know we're living in an age where for good reason people would love to live with a dog I mean I couldn't think you know I champion that I do that I live alone I don't want to live with another human at all I have my family (laughs) which is um my two dogs and my cat that is my family you know and it's fabulous the joy they bring and people saw all the benefits in lockdown you know but I just think you know we're letting the dogs down because we're human and we're lazy and lots of reasons right Mm, mm, absolutely I mean you know my heart for dogs came after I did a degree in animal behavior and I sort of I came across the medical detection dogs research that dogs could detect cancer just Mm. after it had happened and I was like holy moly like what wait a second like if that's true and i just had that moment in time where i just saw dogs and humans across the globe hanging out with each other for so long that they had this not only the physical capacity to do that job but also that they're sensitive enough to want to tell us about stuff they think that we don't see which is so cool and then i realized like hold on a minute 
dogs are our species of all of the species I could have studied as a behaviorist um, and I could have generalized I could have been a GP and worked with horses and bunnies and and all sorts of different animals but my heart just bled for dogs because you know we created them they haven't got a natural environment we are their natural environment we decide who breeds with who what they eat where they go where they sleep you know and we, we have to take corporate responsibility for this species uh, and its interactions with its environment so yeah, I totally feel you. It's really, really difficult. I think a lot of people get upset because there are different ways of living with a dog. Um, I was speaking to an MP just the other day who was saying, you know, I was brought up on farms and, and my dogs would live outside except if they were sick or, you know, they've been to the vets and then they'd live in the scullery um, and they get one meal a day. And, and now I've got three ladies in my office who don't call them dogs. They call them doggy woggies. Mm. <laughs> and I said, well, we have to incorporate that. That is that is just the way that we are living with dogs right now. Um, and and dogs the choice. Adapted. That's it. Well, yeah, but they have adapted and they haven't adapted, yeah, you see, yeah, I'd say. Yes. I mean, look, you know, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm a canine nutritionist as well. Mm. So you hit on diet. So that's yeah. when I start to go, mm. yeah. <laughs> yes. you know, um, you know, um, where should we begin? I mean, the greed of the pet food industry is just staggering. Oh, and crazy. the idea that we're now going to feed carnivores as mm. vegans, mm -hmm. just seriously, I mean, it does make my head spin and uh, green gas will come out of my ears. Um, <laughs> as, um, you know, because Dan Shaw, who I'm yes. dying to actually, yeah, get, get connected with and I feel a podcast coming on with him because Sue <laughs> said Anna the most interesting thing you would have found at the second session was this little 10 minute yes. chat with Dan Shaw as he really talks about neurobiology and the interrelationship of his findings and dog bites which uh, focuses on nutrition which I think is very very interesting mm. but yeah I mean sure. what did you think of his findings? Oh he's amazing Daniel has such an incredible brain and and such enthusiasm for expressing some of the science. I know, I think he's doing a master's right now. So he's he's reading loads and he's explaining it to us. Um, sometimes it can get quite science-y uh, for those that are sort of more lay, but to be honest with you, we need it. We do, we need to understand some of the biological processes and systems that are happening. So things that would impact reactivity and, and he just brought such delicious content for everybody mm. um, in a really refreshing way. So yeah, big love. And that's Animal Behaviour Kent, should, should you want to look up Daniel Shaw he's got yeah. quite a co an unfortunately common name <laughs> I think there's an agility chap who's also called Daniel Shaw so no, well, might... send me send me his details and that, that would be lovely but that's the whole thing and as we you were basically saying earlier it's all mm. about a holistic approach yeah. and really understanding the whole well the whole aspect of looking after a dog Absolutely. and you know the effort because owning a dog isn't easy you know no, you've no. got to go out in the pouring rain you mm. know you, um it's cold or mm. you know mm. let's, mm. and it takes a lot of commitment which I just worry as well that the demographic of dog owners Hannah I don't know what you think about this mm -hmm. is getting a bit young I mean I was considered completely bonkers bringing Molly into my life my first bull terrier when I was 37 <laughs> you know not that I would ever use a dog walker because I think owning a dog you, you walking it is part of the holistic picture 
so that you get to know your dog and you work through challenges with your dog and you spend time with your dog because if you don't spend time with your dog you don't get to know your dog and therefore you don't know how to read your dog in real life situations so yeah but there weren't any in 2002 or Mm. doggy crushes and I just see that whole aspect there weren't really many groomers Mm. it's almost like in 20 years it is literally exploded Mm. and the food as well I mean you know back in 2002 there wasn't the raw balance complete raw that you know I'm very much a fan of um you had to do it yourself which Mm -hmm. was fine if you knew what you were doing which fortunately I did because I you know it grew up in the household I did but we digress but I think it's sort of just painting hopefully a broad brushstroke picture but you've you've really you know seen all of this and rather than talking about it you've is it true, Hannah, you have trained 10,000 dogs? <laughs> yes, yeah, I have. Wow. I Is know. that in group classes or are those all one-to-ones? Because that's going yeah. somewhere. It's a lot, isn't it? It's collectively. So, uh, you know, I ran a, an inner city dog training company in Birmingham um, and I was invited to start trading there as uh, from Birmingham City Council. were like, please, can you help us with our dog problem um, back in 2010? And I was like, yeah. And so that was in one to ones. That was and then that was in group classes. So we, I think we ended up with something around the region of uh, four classes with eight dogs in each. And then at one point we spread out to having like three different locations that we were training in at one point. That's when my head was exploding so so yeah we really have just you know been been getting down to to working with just so many dogs training school dogs working with assistance dogs um and and obviously rehabilitating those who've uh, who've had a sticky time so it is crazy uh, but it's the human narrative for me that i find fascinating and ultimately human culture so when you talk about dog food actually what i love doing is going back through history and going okay hold on a minute when did we start doing that and actually the dog food industry and the kennel club and crufts came out of the same place you know Mm, you you wanted to sell dog food because a chap was like i've got this ship's biscuit and i want to sell it and so they combined so actually crufts was originally designed to sell dog food which is interesting isn't it well i think he wanted he wanted a dog show he was in the business design center just down the road you know from hackney um and he wanted because it was a victorian era at the time Mm -hmm. he would have put it all into context where they'd spend a huge amount of time and effort shaping different breeds of dogs to help live in the victorian era when you know we didn't have sewers (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. rats were running around everywhere can you imagine so if it hadn't been for my little dog mr binks (laughs) who is an english toy terrier designed in the victorian era of fine distinction his ancestors you know arguably helped us not all die of bubonic plague that's it that's it (laughs) you know so where would we've been without the toy terrier you know that's now facing extinction Mm. because everyone wants a cockapoo over to you hannah and the thing is there is that's the that is it isn't it humans are constantly adapting and evolving and what we had in the in the history books is dogs that were bred for particular jobs and now what we're moving into is the job of the pet dog and we really need to think about that like intentionally think about what we need for the future generation of pet dog owners there are so many owners who you know whether you agree with them or not say listen i want a low impact dog who doesn't need a lot of exercise who doesn't shed who doesn't require very much from me um and so many then go down the route of getting maybe a bracky dog who god love them just can't breathe they just can't breathe or move quickly because of the way their bodies are built and i would argue are in 
quite large amounts of pain actually um as with many of the vets and, and welfare organizations and that's what we've moved into and we've sort of normalized a slightly more lazy less impactful dog or we've gone the other route and gone well i'm gonna get a dog that looks super cute like a cockapoo and forget that hold on a minute i've got two sets of retriever in there no <laughs> oh, i know weirdly, my dog steals my pants yeah. like <laughs> you know you're like oh mm. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying, Hannah, really is is very much now the vibe, if you like. So I was talking to Karen Brophy, who's developed her legs initiative, really, yeah. and and um, enrichment course, which is brilliant, and and it's great. So we're we're kind of all talking about the right thing. I think everyone's seeing not neglect exactly out there because when I, I do consults I, I I really have to scale them down now as I, I find I put so much emotion and um into it that yeah. it's it's tough and I'm noticing actually that I'm not the only person that feels that which does make me feel hugely better yeah. because I was thinking I, I can't, this this is too much now this is so too much because you're having to explain to people why perhaps having a silver labrador get that apartment <laughs> I know without a garden isn't yeah. ideal because people are marketing oh yeah sure you can live with a dog in a high rise it's great you know yeah. you're really so stuff like that but but what I'd love to talk to you about as well because on this you know we're breed are we breeding the right dogs? Do we have to breed mm. a new type of dog to fit with a new type of human? I mean, surely it's up to us humans to adapt around the dogs. Why? We've lived with dogs for 30,000 years. So how come in 20 years mm. we've managed to wreck everything? This is what I can't understand and I find deeply saddening. Yes. But what did you discover in Norway? Because I'm half Swedish, so I've yeah. always seen the light as being Scandinavia. Yeah. For lots of reasons. Reasons, actually so so I'd love to know because they were bold and they banned the breeding didn't they uh the yep. year before last of the bulldog yep. and the cavalier king charles spaniel mm -hmm. so what took you to Norway and why so that was the international dog breeding symposium and I was invited to speak um on uh, the morphology of dogs and how that can actually impact their communication. So I was bringing a really quite a fresh perspective. Many of the speakers were, were talking about BOAS, um, which for those uh, who aren't in the know is a, is a breathing disorder that is often found in brachy or, or squash faced dogs, I call them, um, dogs with a very short nose. And a, it was a terrifying unanimous decision, to be honest with you, Anna, that um, these dogs are really beyond being able to be outcrossed to health. So most of our countries have, uh, you know, a veterinary code that states that you cannot breed individuals if you know that the puppies are going to suffer a physical malfunction or abnormality or a genetic disorder. And yet we do it all the time. And, mm. and, and it's a really difficult conversation to have with people because we love our breeds. Dr. Arena Packer brought such a beautiful perspective on, you know, our blindness, our breed blindness. It, like, as you say, Anna, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And, mm. and you know, many people look at a pug and they're like, I cannot imagine a more beautiful dog in all my life. Um, because that's what we've been looking at so frequently. But we really need to take the lid off our thinking when it comes to breeding dogs in this next generation, because we have, become normalized to dogs who have born into physically painful bodies with extreme confirmation 
And then again, vets, uh, Emma Milne, amazing woman, brought the perspective that, you know what, it's not just dogs and it's not just boas. We're doing this across loads of species, like lop-eared bunnies really struggle to thermoregulate. They're super cute, but actually these really long ears that we like the look of are causing loads of issues. The Scottish fold cat with its bendy ears, horses that are being bred for dressage, that are being bred with such bendy necks that they end up with horrible mutative confirmation issues that affect the animal (laughs) Mm, we we mm. are obsessed with excessive featuring and even in you know if you start to look at so i was speaking to somebody who is in the obedience world Mm. um, and they were looking at some of the obedience competitions they saw at crufts this year and even in obedience there is a stylized way of doing obedience competitions now such that the dog is walking almost sitting every time it walks it's it's ready to sit and its back legs are bent and you know you watch these people who are stretching their dogs before they do an obedience competition you're like this is guys this is not normal we really need to rein our behavior in and go why have we done this Mm. because it's easy to 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 spread and put on social media and yeah well, it's very it. competitive the obedience world you yeah. know and um and and it you know does tend to be border collies in the main that that mm-hmm. are used for agility and mm-hmm. the the particular sport I have a particular issue with in terms of hurt, hurt well with injuries mm-hmm. is fly ball I must mm-hmm. say I mean the way they hit that whatever they do it's the only thing I've never done actually fly ball myself obviously but um, you know because I'm a great fan of working in an agility course yeah. but you know you've got to do it making sure the dog is able to do it I worked one bull terrier doing an agility course and he flattened the whole course um when we were chatting he thought this is great <laughs> no, seriously it was very very funny and then then he loved it so much. He loved the dog walk so much, you know, yeah. walking the plank. Yeah. He just went up there and went, right, well, I'm not coming down. I'm going to stay <laughs> up here for as long as I want, you know. So I think, yeah, but yeah, exactly. I, I do hear what you're saying, although, you know, I, think- I do feel as well, we do have to train our dogs. We do, we do. And, and the thing to bear in mind is that if we're going to create environments for community that are based on judgment and competition what we're going to get and draw and attract are (laughs) you know people who like the best the best of the best and the best of the best will get better every time you look at television reality television season by season gets more and more extreme because Mm. it has to be better than last time and so you know again we've got to look at culture and say hold on a minute can we rewind and come back to what does it look like to have a really lovely dog that is enjoying spending time with its owner what does that look like can we breed for temperament um and uh, and and a decent ability to be social in the environment rather than a sort of hyped version it doesn't surprise me anna that my owners who've got border collies and it live in inner cities have done so because they've seen amazingly well-trained border collies so you know they see them and they go oh, that's the best trained dog ever if i get one of those then i can train it to be a superstar and actually you're looking at super hardcore professionals who have trained for many, many years in the in the region of um, obedience. And it's not an easy thing to do to, to maintain a border collie to that level of, um, of obedience. So yeah, tricky. It's culture. It's culture and behavior. And that's honestly what I just love to study. And I think we all need to be a bit more open-minded about why did we start doing that thing that we do? When did we start doing it? Why are we still doing it? Or do we need to continue doing it? And I would argue the breed debate needs to fit into that category. 
Why mm. do we have this breed of dog? Why does it look like that? Why does it behave that way? Um, is it nature? Is it nurture? Um, and what do we want? What do we need in the next generation of, of dog owners? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say the last thing you said there was the most pertinent, to be fair. It's always a combination of nature versus nurture. In my view, it's I, I believe it's a 50-50 thing. And I do believe our dog breeding in this country needs to shape up and, you know, take some um, advice, if you like, from Sweden and, and Norway in particular. Yeah. Mm. But also on health, you know, because it's things like, for example, neutering. Right. Um, there's so much science around you. Oh, well, I, I had him neutered because, you know, the vet said it would stop his reactivity. Mm. Then funnily enough, he gets worse. Mm. And there's science, you know, to concur on that now. Of course, in Norway, it's illegal to spay or neuter as an extreme statement, really. Mm. And you compare that to, say, America, where they're neutered pretty much when they come out of the, the womb, you know, when they're oh, born. Sure. Yeah. You can neuter as a What is the age? in america it's very young it's, I mean, it's crazy yeah, six, yeah six weeks or something ridiculous yeah so so i mean you know and when you think the reproductive system does a lot more you know than obviously just reproduce Absolutely. it's part of the holistic dogs so you're stripping i mean you know you'd never spay your daughter no. so or, or ask your daughter when they're four to have a hysterectomy i mean but this mm -hmm. is what we are so and that will mm -hmm. affect behavior so Huge. when you say it's cultural i think it's, oh we could talk for hours but <laughs> i just think you know it's important i I love Norway and, yeah. and in Sweden people don't need to because they think it's wrong it's ethically it's considered you know it's the reverse of what mm. we have here although I do see that changing actually and it is all down to science that mm. only mm. came out in 2013 so you know about sadly you know I'm in this study which I've talked about with Dr. Lise Hansen, one of my 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 favorite vets. You know, she's a, a holistic vet as well as a you know yes. normal conventional vet, mm -hmm. and and these are the vets that are really challenging trends, if you yeah. like, or the yeah. status quo, mm -hmm. because we have to move, as you say. But it's not only. I don't think it's only in breeding dogs that, in inverted commas, are going to be suitable for the humans that we have in our society at the moment. Uh -huh. I think a lot of it has got to do with social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always say dogs and TV never mix, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and now we're trying. We, you look at Instagram. I mean, it, it it's off the graph what people are thinking is funny. Yeah. To to film mm. for example their bull terrier doing you know yeah, and knowing yeah. the breed so well I just think oh god mm -hmm. and and you know to get a laugh or to get clicks likes you know yeah it's really hard and isn't that an interesting measure potentially of trust of your nation so you know on honestly the the spare your dog narrative was created to reduce strays let's not mess around like if you don't trust your population it's a really good idea to encourage them all to spay and neuter their dogs so that you can control the dog population um and i love that sweden have enough trust <laughs> to be honest with you, in their population there's enough responsibility that is embedded in the culture that they can understand and respect and carefully breed dogs uh, or keep dogs that are entire and intact. And I, I hear your heart, Anna. I was very much um, anti the the neuter narrative for a long time because I saw the effect that it had on behaviour. But equally, I do look at the general populace and go, oh, my days. Sometimes, actually, um, 
you've got a really broken dog and you're just going to breed it. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's a, that's a good thing for you to have access to is the ability to, you know, artificially inseminate and then take your dog for a C-section and create a ton more really painful dogs. Dogs. But Hannah, every, not everyone is doing that. I've, I mean, please don't fall over, but Prudence yeah. isn't spayed. She's yeah. eight. No, Has she ever had any puppies? Oh, no. Come on. No. I know. Do I want any puppies from Prudence? No. It's very right. easy. It's just because she's not spayed. It doesn't mean to say she's going to get pregnant. Yeah, it's true. And, you true. know, so, you know, really we, we have to balance all of this because vets earn a huge amount of money just by routinely spaying at six months, you know. Mm-hmm. So you have to bear that in mind. I mean, Mm. I've done a lot of chatting about flea treatments lately and about the fact that vets earn um, £178 million a year from parasite control in dogs and cats, which is a lot of money for them to forsake. But they're going to have to because these treatments are now killing our rivers. So Mm. this is the sort of knock-on holistic picture that certainly over my Yes, matters, I think. So what would you recommend if somebody comes to you as Amplified Behaviour, your your brilliant business, and they say, look, Hannah, you know, I'm really wanting to do this right. How do you advise what type of dog for someone to get? Oh, I love that question. So Mm -hmm. I I have a sort of um, a quiz that I do with my clients when Mm -hmm. they come to me and ask me about uh, the dog. A really good question, I think, for you to ask yourself is on a bad day, what's the maximum amount of exercise that you can give a dog? (laughs) I think that's a really nice place to start. I'll tend to look into, uh, you know, the family's dynamic. I I love asking owners as well, a really broad spectrum question, which is describe dog life and just let them use all of the words that that come to them. And I'll ask the children separately and I'll ask the parents if they are, if they're in a family like that. Um, And then we'll look through a breed book together and we'll look at, you know, I want to know what is a good looking dog to you. So, and then once we have all of that information, we kind of create this cool mind map together um, and then I'll steer them. So if they're all like, yes, amazing. Well, we've got seven children and we live in a two bedroom flat and we really love Huskies. You know, that's where obviously <laughs> my professional uh, <laughs> experience can come in and go, I know you like the look of them. They are pretty, aren't they? Maybe not though. So, <laughs> and it very much is individual to the person. Um, yeah, I love doing that. It is one. And then what we'll do is we'll look at, um, the various places that you can get a dog so if they've decided they want a rescue versus a puppy then we'll actually look at some rescue websites and i'll do a little bit of cheeky training that helps them to read between the lines of some of the rescue dog posts and go okay i used to write these these posts so i can tell you that this post really means this is likely and this is likely and this is likely um and this dog would probably be really good at this and this and this and the same for puppy shopping so i will show them how to spot a trader or what i would argue to be a puppy farmer based on a series of pictures because those of us in the in the industry can see them they can we can spot them i think when you look at things like pre-loved and gum tree and you go okay this person has done really good at like they're following this trend and they're using this wording but actually if we look at some of these pictures i can see x y or z and i'm not going to tell you because then the market will adapt so yes i love doing that with clients and just helping them to to shop properly and for the dog that is perfect for their environment but to be honest with you humans are mental and wonderful and often some you know some people will get a dog that is totally or i would argue is not the dog for them and yet 
they form a beautiful bond and mm. they adapt to each other. So, you know, with the best will in the world, um, yeah, definitely get advice. Definitely look into rescue dogs if you are see- seeking to get a dog of your own. Uh, but highly, highly recommend getting training advice and support uh, from a qualified behaviorist and trainer to, to do that well. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, let's not forget that the dog is man's best friend. And, you know, I I agree with you, the work of medical detection dogs and the anecdotal studies that they did, what inspired their work. So I launched the charity, see. Did you? Yeah. I did not know that, Anna. Yeah. In 2008. Yeah. Yeah. I worked with them for years. And, uh, but it was the stories before the charity, you know, dogs that just totally anecdotally told their human that they had breast cancer Mm -hmm. in their own way with the bond that existed between that dog and that human, you know. Just saving lives. Yeah, so it was the anecdotal evidence that fueled the the charity's making, and then they channeled it into what we've got today. So, but yeah, dogs are utterly extraordinary, and I think we have still only scratched the surface of really understanding their greatness and the fact that they have emotional intelligence. Because back in two thousand and eight, the jury was out on it. Hannah, Claire Guest even <laughs> didn't think dogs wow. had emotional. I know. Wow. So we talked about it a. And in the podcast I did with her, she actually says, Claire, I love Claire, you know, said, Anna, we are all coming around to it now. Dogs do have emotional intelligence. But but you see, it's been that's been since 2008. So we're in this melting pot. We have all this science, Mm -hmm. all this ability of MRI scans and Mm -hmm. all the rest of it. And just hundreds of people wanting to do right by dogs. And I just hope it all comes out right in the end. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just, you know what, and we've got time, haven't we? Like, we've got time to really pull all those resources together right now. And I think ultimately, a corporate responsibility to do so because there is so much, you're right, Anna, so much science, so much knowledge out there uh, about dogs and their capacity. And so many people are trying to do right by dogs right now. Uh, I think we need a united conversation across the UK about what we're going to do. And what is our conservation strategy for the domesticated dog? I love that, a conservation strategy. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's so brilliant. Gosh, Chris Packham would love that. <laughs> I think we need to get Chris on board with all of this because his great. love for poodles is just brilliant and <laughs> and they're great. A, a poodle, a, just a poodle on its own, not mixed with anything else, for me yeah. is one of the greatest dogs. So they adaptable are. and fun and the only breed that doesn't shed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Hannah, please till you come back. So I feel we've got so much to talk about, but I've, I've so enjoyed this chat and basically all the links are going to be in the show notes. Fab. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. Well, that's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, it was lots of interesting food for thought. Oh, and yes, you're right. It is time for Woof of the Week. Dogs are a commitment, not a convenience. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts. Thanks again to Hannah Malloy and all the links to her amplified behavior and to lots more are in the show notes. Thanks, of course, to Mike, my producer. Follow him at Pod People UK. And for me, give me a follow at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, you're right. We will be back in your feed next Sunday. But why don't you subscribe now? It's free. That way you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Thank you.
odd people.